two dudes, one microphone, absolutely zero calves. Welcome to Team No Calves Radio with your hosts, Ollie and Adam. Hello guys and welcome to episode 3 of Team No Calves Radio with myself, Ollie Carson and my good man, Adam Boyd Brown. How are you mate? My good man, I like that. That sounded <laughs> like really fun. My good man. <laughs> my good man. Yeah, I'm good squire, really good mate. <laughs> so today is going to be a slightly different episode in that we actually, we didn't really have a topic to talk about. Not through laziness, um, purely just that we thought we would go on a bit of a rambling and talk about um, an interesting topic of... Some of the things that we we did in our younger years of lifting and nutrition and and ha- now in hindsight how that's quite funny to look back on. So we're going to be rambling through some of those those funny things that we used to get up to, and we're also going to be answering some of the questions that were left on one of the social media posts, asking for you guys to get in contact with us and ask us some questions with training and nutrition. So we'll be doing that at the end, and also just tune in all the way to the end because we're going to be revealing who we're going to be speaking to. On the next podcast, so episode four, and who that will be. So listen up for that one. Cool. Yeah. So this will be part of a, a series of uh, episodes we'll do along the way, which we are going to call the rambling. So this is this part one, and this is going to be weird shit that we used to do. <laughs> so uh, I'm actually going to start us off, I think. And um, so my my first one when I started getting really into my nutrition side of things was. Uh, I'd heard about this thing, carb cycling, mm. and um, I thought, what's, what's that? I thought, you know, it was just cycling down to uh, McDonald's, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would burn off all of the calories from my carbs by just sort of going and, and maybe, like, journeying down to get it. But, uh, but no, once I'd done a little bit of learns, um, I, I realised that what it meant was cycling my carb intake up and down, and um, as our... Uh, most of us tend to do when we first kind of learn about something is we go all in with it Mm -hmm. and so I went and I thought carb cycling meant I had to have high medium and low days so not only was I pretty horrendous at uh kind of knowing what I was doing to start with you just added that in yeah a hell of a lot harder for myself by going with a high day uh what was I doing I was doing two high days a week uh two medium days and three low days um which meant I was just constantly eating a different amount of everything every yeah. day. Uh, and with so many variables going on, obviously it became pretty difficult to, to actually track, figure out yeah, yeah, what, going on. what the fuck I was doing, to yeah. be honest. Um, in hindsight, it, it was uh, obviously all I was doing was as I moved through my prep, I would pretty much just add on a low day. Mm. So I'd replace a medium day for a low day. Yeah. And I'll just be getting my deficit that way. That's a pretty actually. I know that there's a lot of aggro with the kind of high, low, medium. Yeah. But that's a pretty um, easy way to to create a larger deficit. You yeah. Know, just add a, a bigger an, another low day, and like you say, so that's actually it a was, pretty cool tactic to be. It fair. was um, it was funny because it was kind of ingenious in a way, in that it was completely thoughtless. Mm. I didn't really realise that's what I was doing. I just thought because I was dropping because <laughs> I was dropping carbs. All of a sudden, I was burning yeah. loads of body fat extra. Um, <laughs> when in reality, all I was doing was just taking about 300 calories from my diet out each week. Um, but the problem with it, it was as I got to the end of a diet, instead of doing like having, say, a couple more high days and actually fueling my low days, I was just having seven low days. Yeah. And uh, I'd get to the end of a, a prep, uh, just a, a watery, saggy mess. <laughs> 
of <laughs> of just no glycogen. I've seen the pictures, mate. You look you look good. I looked alright. I you looked, looked alright, right, but yeah. it was uh, it was definitely just there, like more through, um, I guess error yeah, than, yeah. than knowing what I was doing. To be honest. Well, I guess look, it's it's probably all very well and good us poking fun at um, carb cycling, and but there, there's definitely we, oh, sorry we should definitely kind of point out why we think that that was a mistake and um and is there actually a place for carb cycling because i can probably think of a case or two where there might be a case for Mm -hmm. carb cycling so why would you why would you kind of um choose to go against carb cycling as it were i mean essentially what carb cycling is really doing is it's just calorie cycling yeah um it the easiest thing to do is if you want to take calories up and down is it's just to 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 borrow from from one macronutrient yeah and carbs is generally the one we're going to borrow from mm. we don't ever really want to take our fat so low um and we never really want to be moving protein around so it's easy yeah. just to just to borrow from from carbohydrates mm. and um and then yeah cycle calories down in that respect um in terms of when i would look to actually utilize this when it is a beneficial thing um especially for people who are getting very lean and uh, engage in a lot of weightlifting and things like that is utilizing some higher carb days in order to just refill carbohydrate in the muscle so refill some glycogen stores Mm. Um, obviously help increase training intensity help with sleep um, in the kind of days i guess that that go on from it i think the biggest uh, misconception is that a high day is more for that day itself when in reality it's it's more of a beneficial impact on the the, the following days, days yeah, yeah exactly because yeah. that's when you're really going to start utilizing those carbohydrates so it's definitely an approach which is useful to take with people mm. um but i was kind of going well overboard with yeah. high medium and low especially because at the time i wasn't particularly advanced in reality i didn't need it quite so much mm. i guess if you're just a you know um a guy who's going into the gym just wants to lose a few pounds might have a little bit of excess on there and isn't really doing anything particularly serious training intensity is not through the roof yeah um then really in, in reality utilizing high medium and low days or, or even just high and low days is probably not even necessary no. i guess what we're saying is um just don't overcomplicate things when it's not necessary um having low carb days isn't some magic bullet that is going to increase fat loss because essentially what you're doing is increasing caloric expend uh the deficit of of your calories and so whether you do that with a linear approach or calorie cycling or carb cycling, mm. it doesn't matter. It's just a means to an end. So just don't overcomplicate it. It's definitely a tool. It's a method, but um, it's not the be all and end all, I guess is yeah. what we're saying. I think the thing is, is do the most with the least that you have to. Mm. So get the most yeah. bang for your buck in all, all cases. Always uh, are going to be looking to do the same thing, create a calorie deficit. Mm. It's whatever works best for you. It's quite. It's why um, a 5-2 diet works so well for the majority of people mm. because pretty much everyone already does a 5-2 diet just a like bastardized 5-2 like the weekend kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah so restrict during the week and then go well overboard at weekends whereas in reality if you can kind of control control it yeah, yeah control the weekend and then that that's a good approach for a lot of people you know you you've got structure during the week you might find that while you're at work you're a bit less hungry you're not out and about so doing a a five-two approach that's controlled works really well for some people. For others, it just it just leads to a, a binge and restrict yeah. mentality, and that's what we got to kind of guard against. Yeah, cool. Okay, so I guess my first one would be um, chasing numbers, and in many respects, chasing numbers. So 
uh, one of the numbers that I was chasing was 100 kilos on the scale. So I just had this <laughs> obsession with like, I need to be 100 kilos. I think I was about um, early 90 kilos at the time yeah. with not much muscle mass already. So <laughs> just chasing this ridiculous number and I did whatever it took to get there. And at the end, like much like you with your first comp, I was just a saggy mess of shit. <laughs> no, you're not, not saying that you was a saggy mess of shit. <laughs> But your your glycogen stores are so low that you look like one. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I had this obsession with a hundred kilos. I don't know what it is or where it came from, and uh, I just ate ludicrous amounts of food in the pursuit for this number. Yeah, and yeah, of course I got there and I had a good look at myself, and I just thought, brilliant, I made it. And I it took me actually a long while to realize that perhaps that wasn't the smartest choice. Um, but in hindsight, it's pretty funny to look back on and and just laugh at myself because yeah. I actually at the minute I'm, I was on stage my last stage weight was um, around about 86 kilos I think it's 100 and, 189 pounds or so and that's with an additional sort of six seven years mm. lifting under my belt so probably a substantial more uh, amount of muscle mass and so I can't imagine yeah <laughs> now being 100 kilos um, it's just ludicrous to me I think um when it comes to natural lifters, it's actually surprising how light you will end up being. Mm. Uh, you know, like um, even some of the biggest natural guys, you know, are, when they're really lean on stage, they weigh like pennies. Pe yeah, yeah, barely anything. Like, I mean, I when my I did my last photo shoot, you know, people were saying, "Oh, you look massive in that." Yeah. I was like, I was eleven stone and six pounds. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? I did yeah. not weigh much whatsoever. And uh, and this is the thing is a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, um, you know, they might currently be like 88 kilos, but holding maybe kind of 20 pounds of extra body fat. Mm. And uh, they may say, yeah, what I want to be is I want to be 90 kilos ripped lean. Yeah, it's like. And, uh, yeah, and I'm like, you've got about 28 pounds of muscle mass to put on mm. before that would be the case, you know, and it's and taking just kind of random weights and saying that's what you want to be is it. It's just a, a complete, you know, guess. Um, it's not going to have any kind of. Uh, it has no relevance. No. Do you know what I mean? You don't know no. what you're going to be at a certain weight. So, um, yeah. So definitely don't don't chase numbers when it comes to numbers on the scale. Yeah, definitely. And I think the the other one for me as well is actually funnily enough is 100 kilos as well, and that was on the bench press. Certainly not on the squat because I yeah. never trained legs. <laughs> but and this was dangerous like this is a this is one that you really need to steer clear of guys and girls is especially if you're a new lifter check like it's good to chase you know numbers that you want to lift but it has to be controlled like i had this obsession with 100 kilo bench press very early on in my lifting career and i was nowhere near it and i think i was like unracking the bar with 100 kilos on and doing a quarter rep so i was probably like yeah just training my elbow slightly or something <laughs> but um i took it to the point where i was like one day i was like right this is it i'm gonna do it i'm just gonna go all the way down to my chest see what happens what's the worst that can happen <laughs> brought the bar down to my chest and at the time i didn't even used to wrap my thumbs around the bar i used to just oh, have suicide this, grip. this suicide grip and uh tried to get it back up struggling bar fell off my hands onto my chest 100 kilos Oh, and man. I literally had to wriggle from under the bike. It is like cringy, cringy. Yeah. yeah. And but that was my obsession with chasing this number on a bar. And I just look back at that with absolute disarray. Like, but what the hell was I doing? The problem with uh, when it's a bench press and you lose it, you can only go one way with it. So That's you can't right. roll it up your neck. No, you have, you have to roll the other way. Yep. But 
being a bloke, <laughs> it gets to a certain point, yeah. and yeah. then obviously it has to go. Up, it has to go below your hip crease, otherwise you cannot. That's it. Get yourself up to it actually the, move it, it off. It was really, really uncomfortable, yeah. and I was, you know, I was a young lad. Like just getting a hundred kilos off my hips was hideous. Yeah. But fortunately, I was um, I was a mechanic at the time, and we I worked for a big company in North London, and. Um, they had their own private gym, so I used to go in there on my lunch breaks and um, lift in there. So it was just me in there, so I was kind of spared the embarrassment. But now I've just told thousands of listeners on this podcast, so that's great. Yeah, that's all right, mate. We've all been there. Everyone <laughs> everyone can uh, can sympathise with that. Yeah. Well, going on from that, my, my version of it was um, uh, bicep curls. Right. So horribly, horribly heavy bicep curling was my, my forte. So I was chasing... I wanted to get on the bottom rack for the bicep curl, nice. Um, which meant yeah, I think at that time it was thirty kilos on the mm. bicep curl, which is weight that now I would literally be like, I, with strict form, I don't, know, I don't think I could even get no. a rep to be honest. No. And I was so I was, you know, I need to get to that number, and in the end it was just, oh, it was just a swing. It was yeah. like it wasn't even anything. The I think, neck comes towards the dumbbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I might as well have just been like kind of lunging down towards the dumbbell like reverse lunging <laughs> yeah. um my hand my, my body towards the hand so um it was the same kind of thing and when you get into like isolation movements you've really got to be aware of the fact that progression has to is it becomes very minimal oh yeah it's tiny you know because if you think adding say uh five percent onto well say adding five kilos onto a hundred kilo bench press that's five percent mm. adding five kilos onto a, a 20 kilo um bicep curl you know that's that's a 20 percent yeah yeah it's a you're uh five on a 25 so that's a 25 percent increase and that's something i didn't it's a huge i didn't realize back then when i was trying to go from you know the 18 uh sorry the 17.5s to the 20s Mm. and then to the 22.5s i just thought yeah it should be happening at a similar rate to my bench not realizing that that's just not how it's ever going to happen what we have to be mindful of is that most of our progressions on these kind of accessory moves or the muscles that we use on these accessory moves will come from our bigger moves. So like a bench press, we'll be progressing the triceps quite substantially and the, the rows will be progressing the biceps. So we don't have to bicep curl 30 kilo dumbbells, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> getting much on the bicep. I was coming out from it and my upper traps were hurting more than my biceps were. So I probably should have told me something. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, um, so let's move on to the next one. Um, mine was the, the kind of Friday night going out pump up <laughs> and it was funny because you used to do it with your mates did you ever used to go yeah, to the yeah. local leisure center or whatever and oh yeah get the get a pump on with the lads um or <laughs> or <laughs> so, so i didn't mean it to sound like that i was at, about to actually go on to or in the bedroom if you've got oh, your own yeah. set so yeah, yeah. a couple of dumbbells in the bedroom it was always concentration curls yeah. push-ups and I think I used to do shoulder press as well with the dumbbells in the oh, bedroom. Okay. So you wanted to make sure the delts were looking Yeah, the delts were swollen. They were popping like for five minutes, <laughs> like before we got the cab. And then uh, it's always the the big V-net top yeah. um, to just show off that, that dare upper chest. It's funny because uh, I think, I well, I don't know if, about you, but I just remember the first time I saw the deep V was um, JLS. Right, okay. Do, do you remember? You remember yeah, JLS, yeah, yeah, surely. Yeah. And I remember used to seeing like, deep v's there all the time and uh and so i 
I'm just realising now that I took my fashion, fashion from JLS. JLS. Yeah, yeah, yeah be proud is, of that one. Yeah, that yeah, sounds great. A bit, bit dodgy, but uh, that that was kind of I always wanted to get that upper chest yeah. development because mm. I wanted that to be able to show through on the uh, the, the DV really well. But the funny thing about it was is that in reality, I was I was probably doing myself more harm than good in trying to develop those muscles by going and and killing them with a very high rep session and then going out on the vodkas straight afterwards <laughs> very yeah. little sleep no recovery yeah um in reality all i was doing was just breaking those muscles down and and really not giving them much <laughs> in the way of recovery afterwards yeah and um that's kind of the difference now between when you you've got a little bit of knowledge about the subject is you know you realize that after your biggest sessions this is kind of when you need to be Resting really emphasizing your your recovery protocols i don't know if like. it happens much anymore because we do live in that day and age where not to say that it wasn't around at all when we were kind of growing up but it is so much more accessible now the information and it's all good information well a lot of it's good information and um so i think a lot of people it's, it's scary you know like these young lads and they're like they live like athletes you know mm. the way that they train the way that they eat the way they recover and i don't know it's probably a bad thing because you should be going out and enjoying yourself yeah we're not saying that um you know getting a pump up and then going out on the bodies is a good shout but um definitely live your lives i mean don't be slaves to the gym there's definitely a place for going out and enjoying yourselves from time to time yeah i think um definitely the uh kind of fear of of not being on it the whole time yeah um seems to be much more prevalent than it used to be mm. um people thinking that they're gonna just by having a, a week or two off, going to do themselves kind of irreversible month, you know, months yeah. worth of damage. And in reality, you know, kicking back and enjoying yourself actually um, every now and then is only going to do you good. Increase in longevity yeah. and your adherence to this kind of life. Definitely, but also as well, motivation in the gym. Like, you know, mm. if you've had a, a week away, generally you're absolutely buzzing to get back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I'm still, you know, having to kind of be easy with the training and things like that. And I've never wanted to train more in my life, you know. Mm -hmm. So having a step back every now and then will definitely help with sort of long-term motivation. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've got, I guess I want to uh, talk about the faster cardio element of things oh, that I always, always, always used to do. Um, and it mainly stemmed from just seeing other people doing faster cardio and thinking it was the be-all and end-all. And um, in reality, it was... Uh, like I'm definitely not a morning person when it comes to training. Mm. Like I cannot stand faster cardio, and uh, I, or getting up and doing my cardio kind of first thing in the morning. I know some people will love an early morning power, but I'm definitely not one of those. Yeah. I'd much rather get out in an evening and do it. Um, and so my, I guess, enjoyment of a prep was massively, massively uh, affected by yeah. feeling that having to do my cardio fasted was the only way that I should really be doing it. Or at least the, the most optimal way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, I guess if you've kind of followed people with uh, a bit of authority over the last few years, you'll realise that the, the fasted cardio uh, being more beneficial than fed cardio is, is definitely a myth. There's definitely no real, uh, I guess, benefit to it other than just adherence if you enjoy doing it that mm. time but if you don't like doing it you're certainly not missing out on any benefits by doing it any other time of the day at the end yeah. of the day yeah I'm, I'm actually in the other camp in that i i usually do like where i can i i get up early get it done and um just for no other reason other than 
I get quite lazy in the afternoon slash evening so I'll, I'll always fit my training in sort of mid-morning and then beyond that once I finish work you like if you told me to go and do some cardio I just wouldn't do it yeah. so I do it for no other reason other than like you said adherence and what you what you prefer and what you enjoy look cardio is not enjoyable but make it as enjoyable as possible if you don't enjoy doing it first thing in the morning before eating then don't mm. it's not going to give you any extra uh, progressions so I think that's the thing as well when it comes to uh, like individual variation and preference and things like that there's <laughs> absolutely a you know a thousand ways to skin a cat yeah. like it doesn't matter if you do it fasted fed morning afternoon doesn't matter if you're using um kind of the the stationary bike as your preferred method mm. or going out and doing a long walk all of you know at the end of the day it's all just a means to an end yeah. and at the end of the day it's the person who finds the means that works for the most consistently that will really get the best results at the end yeah here here boom so what was the um what was the first supplement you ever you ever took See, mine's actually like uh, mine's actually quite a good one because I I didn't realise that I was actually following uh, Sound decent advice. advice. Yeah, so I took I took creatine. But the oh. one thing that was different is that because of my belief in this supplement, I remember taking it probably like first the first time I took it, and I went into the gym about ten minutes later. And I remember being like, oh my God, it's I'm working. so strong today. Like, <laughs> I felt like I was hulking out. Yeah, like, like placebo um, Yeah, and that's, that's the, the funniest thing about supplementation is obviously we know that it, because they are supplements, they do have a very small um, effect, you know, positive effect, even mm -hmm. the ones that have the most benefit. Yeah. Um, and so the, the power of kind of placebo is a, a huge one really in that I felt instantly stronger just for having taken it when in reality it hadn't even absorbed into my you know my muscle <laughs> tissue yet you know that's a good shout though that you took creatine mine was um was a, like all in one it's from a massive brand i won't mention it i yeah. don't know if i get in trouble i'm sure i'm sure nobody listens of importance but um <laughs> it was a big brand and they had this all-in-one supplement that was like creatine bcaas and whey protein and I used to take that like three times a day with full fat milk and it just tasted like arse. I'm oh, sure it's... I'm back sure in the cardboard it's, days. Yeah, it's a lot better now. I'm, I have no no doubt, but I remember taking this and just the things that you used to put yourself through for the sake of gains. Yeah. And I was like, I am going to get big no matter what. And this like, this drink was disgusting. But yeah, that was my first. It would be the same one that was everyone's first one, mate. Because um, it was probably the only one that was like stocked in Tesco. Okay, so it was... To, to, to give you a clue it was named after a I guess you could call it um, a would you call it a weather a weathering uh, yeah, a weather like effect a, uh, a... not a tornado <laughs> similar <laughs> yeah similar similar to a tornado yeah, yeah so yeah. I took that, that yeah was, that was the one that was my first supplement it's funny actually though because now you said about um, like the the <laughs> the old school kind of protein powders and the old school bars and that is mm. how horrendous did they used to taste like yeah really bad like i remember if you got one that just tasted like like semi not shit it was like <laughs> this is amazing how good does this yeah, taste yeah and now when you think about how like how the market is absolutely flooded with things that taste ridiculously mm. good like bars protein bars that just taste like chocolate bars yeah. and milkshakes that just taste like milkshakes yeah they've come on leaps and bounds massively yeah what about um pre-workouts yeah pre-workouts massive on those and um you can get quite addicted yeah. i went actually went through a phase 
recently um, with the grenades uh, 50 cal. I used to just use that for every session. Just mainlining it. Yeah, honestly. And I just think now, like in hindsight, why why did I do that? But um, I guess like, you know, if you're going through prep and things like that and energy low, they definitely do have a place. Mm. Um, but I, I just used to kick the arse out of pre-workouts. Was you, were you yeah. quite... Yeah, yeah. So I was the same. It's funny because like, you know, when you're kind of taking them all the time, obviously you do start getting a bit of a... Uh, a lack of effect with them mm. and um i just remember that anything that was like that it was mainly the packaging that like drew, drew, drew me in. towards it yeah. yeah like the more extravagant the packaging the more i would want it mm. um and then obviously the more ingredients was in there to me the better that meant it was yeah so i was just looking for whatever's got the most ingredients and whatever had the most jack guy on the outside <laughs> and then it would literally be a case of like get the scoop scoop would go into the mouth first and then the water would go in afterwards probably on the drive in which was dangerous in itself yeah um and then uh it was literally a case that i'd spend the next like three three hours with my face feeling like it needed to be scratched off and uh but it was funny because it was it was kind of in a way i think it was still placebo effect yeah you know there was obviously some beneficial ingredients in there the uh beta alanine and the, mm. the caffeine but in reality, I just because I felt like it was doing something for me, you know, yeah. I was, uh, I, it was, you know, obviously what I kind of um, owed all of my increases and all, all of yeah, my improvements. You put so much to. earnest on it. Yeah, right? when when in reality I was still just in newbie gains and I could yeah. have done anything to be honest. I could have been, I could have just been eating green tea bags and the same thing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I used to always um, opt in for a pre workout based on. How, how good it claimed it was at providing the pump. I was never really interested in focus and yeah, all that no, kind of stuff. Because no. they have like their buzzwords, don't yeah. they? Increase focus. Imp- increase. Improves mental clarity. Yeah, I'm not, I don't care about that. I'm focused, mate. I'm yeah. making gains. But as, as long as it gives me a pump, I'm in. So Yeah, as long as I could, if I could see veins like coming yeah. out of my forehead and across like my my shoulders and stuff yeah, that was what it. I was mainly interested in yeah as long as it had all the nitrix in there you were you were in yeah if, if only I knew about blood flow restriction training then I'd have saved myself a hell of a lot of money <laughs> yeah um, I think we should um, get some of these questions answered so what we're going to do is hand over to our question reader router Dr <laughs> Mike Banner he's going to read out the questions and then we'll get those answered for you cool how do you go about reverse dieting after a fat loss phase to avoid rapid fat gain? That's from Stephen Henry from Instagram. Okay, so great question there from Stephen with regards to the reverse diet. Um, and what I'd actually like to do is talk about the recovery diet. So Adam, if you could give us a quick um, sort of insight into what the reverse diet is uh, for our listeners and why potentially we might uh, make preference to something like the recovery diet as mm-hmm. kind of published from Eric Helms by Eric Helms sorry yeah so um, essentially the reverse diet is um, kind of coming after a, a prolonged period in a calorie deficit and the idea of it is that you um, bring calories kind of up to I guess a, a maintenance or a higher figure where you're looking to be able to maintain kind of low body fat levels um, at a much higher intake. Um, now, there's a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, misconception about what a reverse diet needs to be, um, time frames for it, kind of how strict and rigid it, it does need to be. Um, and uh, I think in, in reality, there needs to be 
a kind of change from the reverse diet to the recovery diet um, in terms of how it is kind of, uh, I guess, how it's kind of approached and, and in a way that's much more beneficial for the individual long term um, rather than a kind of extended period where in fact you're just still dieting. Mm, yeah, because I guess what it is and where it comes from is people want to reverse diet because they spend a lot of time getting really quite lean and then they want to maintain that leanness, I guess, but they they still want to eat loads and loads of food, mm. which in and of itself is just kind of a bit contradictory. It's, it doesn't really work that way. And so the kind of question has been asked, why are we are we not, you know, you know additionally putting on body fat to make ourselves healthy again and the answer is always because we want to stay lean but what you have to ask yourself is why do you want to stay lean um and if you're especially if you're a competitor or you're interested in making improvements year on year then there's no real benefit to to maintaining really low levels of body fat and what the recovery does recovery diet does sorry is it gets you into a position where you're feeling healthy again, performing well in the gym, and in a good position to start progressing um, with building muscle mass. Mm -hmm. The reverse diet is um, a kind of a, a poor way of trying to maintain low body fat levels um, when really we should be looking at the recovery diet. Yeah, I think um, it, it does scale, obviously, based upon where you're ending your, your, your dieting phase. Mm. Um, Obviously, if you've just stepped on stage, what people want to do is people want to have a stage condition year round, like you yeah. said, whilst being able to eat all the foods. Mm. Um, but in reality, that stage condition is a snapshot that should never be held really for more than a, a few days at a time. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, if you've dieted down from, say, you know, 25% body fat and you're now at 15% body fat, that's a, that's a kind of different ballpark. You're still in a healthy range, a range that you can walk about in feeling good day to day. Now, in reality, the, the reverse diet or the recovery diet for yourself is just taking calories back up to maintenance, you know, so that you're not dropping weight each week and you're not gaining weight each week, and then just staying at that figure and, and living an, a normal life, you know, a normal day-to-day -day life where you're feeling good, um, and then perhaps just looking to focus on training improvements. But in reality, when you're getting down to very low levels of body fat, and this is, this is generally where most people who are talking about the reverse diet are coming from, is that they're, they're coming from, okay, I want to stay shredded year yeah. round and eat loads and loads of food. How do I do that? Mm. And the typical approach is to do things like add on, say, um, you know, maybe uh, 50 calories a day yeah. and just keep doing that. And what you've got to remember is say you've been, say your maintenance is something like, you know, I don't know, 3,000 calories a day. So I know I'm going with a high maintenance. Yeah. Um, Say your maintenance is 3,000 calories a day and you've been living at, say, 2-2 two, two, uh, at the end of your prep. Now, what you've got to remember is you've been in an 800-calorie deficit that whole time. Yeah. And everything's, you know, pretty down-regulated. You're not moving as much. Um, you are, you know, not training as hard. You've got a certain amount of down-regulation of metabolism. Um, you know, I guess uh, that adaptive thermogenesis, you're just burning less day-to-day. Yeah. -day. And then if you're extending that by just going 50 calories a day extra mm. and just doing that weekly, essentially you're just keeping yourself in that down-regulated, calorie-depleted you know, depleted state yeah. for an extra, I mean, how long would you need to be in that? Like to bring yourself back up another 800 calories, what's that? That's well, like, we're going like 50 calories a week. per week. What's, is that? It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's like uh, 10, yes, yeah, so that's like 
18 weeks or something. Yeah. So you're going to spend an extra 18 weeks in a deficit just to try, or, or you know, essentially just down-regulated before mm. you're going to actually start feeling normal again. And there's no real, there's no kind of real evidence to say that you will maintain, you, and in fact, I would go as far as to say that you won't maintain the same level of leanness no. by, by doing that reverse dieting approach. So you really just need to ask yourself, um, how badly do I want to stay in this condition? And and I do understand that people want to maintain condition year-round, but the, the initial question, question needs to be, what are my long-term goals? Because if it's to progress and to build more muscle mass, then maintaining condition up to a point isn't um, isn't the priority. We're not saying get fat, but definitely get fatter. Mm. If you're yeah, if you if you finish down at like seven percent body fat or something like that, going to eleven percent body fat, it's going to make you feel a hell of a lot better. Mm. Um, it's going to, in reality, to most people, make you look better. I know that's completely subjective, but yeah. you're going to feel better. And then also not spending any extended period of time in a deficit, you're going to regain lost muscle tissue. I think the problem with the reverse diet is, if anything, it just leads to more muscle mass loss. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, if you're spending an extra, say, 18 weeks in a deficit by just building up calories really slowly, that's an extra 18 weeks of having perhaps more muscle protein breakdown than muscle protein synthesis, perhaps. Mm. Um, and therefore, you're going to be in a position of perhaps losing muscle mass and actually looking worse at the end of the reverse diet. Than, than you did if you were just to say bump calories back up to maintenance as kind of quickly as possible and then just living there you know um, for a, a much more extended period of time yeah. so that's what I believe I believe that you know the best way to go about a reverse diet is get calories back up to maintenance as quickly as possible now that will mean some some weight gained in those initial weeks you know you will certainly gain some body fat which is is essentially going to be a good thing if you have ended very, very lean. Mm. Um, uh, it's going to regain some lost muscle tissue and you're going to get some more water in the body and some more carbohydrates stored in the body. So you will see uh, definitely an increase in, in weight, but that doesn't mean that you've just gained a load of extra body fat. You don't yeah. need to worry about that. That's right. And things like food volume as well will obviously go through the roof. And so all those things accumulated will lead to big jumps on the scale but it's it's nothing to worry about it's perfectly normal and it's probably the best approach that you can take mm -hmm. so yeah definitely don't don't look at it as a reverse diet as okay previously i was eating 3500 calories a day and gaining weight uh week upon week and i dropped down to two two and you know maintenance is 3000 look at it as okay I've got, I've got to a position i'm happy with now or a position where I, you know, I'm done dieting. Mm. Now let's take calories back up to that that maintenance figure that I said would, you know, in this example be three thousand. Let's do that as quickly as possible, and then and then live there again. That's it. Thanks, guys. Next question is from Lumber Jackson on Instagram, and he says, "I'm currently trying to build strength while in a calorie deficit. I've only been training consistently for a year, and I'm seeing improvements. But is it possible to continue progressing while in a calorie deficit?" So a great question there from uh, Lumber Jackson. And um, it's a very good point about progressing whilst being in a, in a calorie deficit. And it's probably worth mentioning, Adam, um, with the, the sliding scales of just how new you are to lifting. So if you're a very beginner lifter um, or even an early on intermediate lifter that you might be seeing progressions even whilst in a calorie deficit and why that is and how long that might continue to happen for. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, as... Uh I think it's is it Andrew Jackson. Yeah, it's Andrew yeah, Jackson. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so, 
Uh, Andrew did the Grenade Fit 8, and uh, as he mentioned there, he's he's still pretty new to lifting. So when you're in the early stages of, of training, you can certainly still be in a calorie deficit and make vast improvements in your, your strength. Now, strength is very uh, neuromuscular, so in relation to kind of how the brain is is communicating with the muscles. Um, and so when you're at those early stages, you can certainly get a, a fair bit stronger still in a you know pretty big deficits. And it is the case that, you know, as you become more advanced, you do get diminishing returns with mm. this. Uh, you know, you can you can progress strength by training in, a, in an appropriate way, certainly at any time in your career. But as you become very, very well advanced, strength does t- tend to kind of, um, it scales in correlation with muscle mass. Certainly in m- more experienced lifters, it's around about, it's about 45 to 70% uh, in terms of the kind of, uh, I guess... What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Relationship between right. increasing mass. size, yeah, increasing yeah. muscle mass and increasing strength. So yeah. certainly, the more advanced you are, the harder you will find it to to gain strength and deficit. Mm. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but it does require some extremely good programming. And uh, you know, certainly, if you are extremely advanced, you know, if you're looking at high end powerlifters, in reality, when they're cutting weight, um, they're you know to make a different weight class. Um, you know, they may find that there's a slight drop in their strength. Yeah. It may mean that by dropping weight class that they're actually improving their score in relation from, you know, weight to yeah, max relative, lift. Yeah, relative yeah. That's it. But in reality, their kind of max lifts may be decreasing a little bit. So mm. certainly it is definitely that law of diminishing returns. The more advanced you get, the less likely you're going to be to be able to improve strength in a deficit. The earlier you are, the less... Um, important it is for you to be in a surplus to gain strength Um, you know so certainly that's that's something to bear in mind if you are looking to kind of really boost up strength and uh, that's your main goal you know probably I would I would veer away from trying to be in a deficit yeah so Andrew's actually coming on to the build a brown condition with Carson uh, program the next intake Um, but if he wasn't would you just suggest that potentially um he would, you know, get to a point where he's really starting to see plateaus mm-hmm. in his strength gain, and then potentially consider, you know, maybe moving to maintenance or even surplus calories to try and progress that way. Or yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, if you're still at a position where you are looking to kind of diet, lower those body fat levels down, and you're still seeing improvements in your strength, and that works well for you, and that's kind of a, a concurrent goal that you're after, um, then yeah, definitely ride that out for as long as you can. Then if it becomes uh, you, you finding you're plateauing and, and strength gains are still your, your main goal, then yeah, I would be looking to move towards maintenance and maybe a very a very slight surplus, you know, just to um, to to really benefit that, that performance in the gym. Yeah. Thanks. Our third and final question is from Alice Ruby P and she says, What sort of techniques would you advocate for a female who is struggling to further develop her upper body? So I think the first thing we need to address, Alice, is um just the kind of the principles as opposed to the methods and and it will always come back to progressive progressive overload so the fact that you're a female and that you're trying to um, improve and progress in your upper body is kind of irrelevant with regards to what sort of methods you should you should use for this approach the overriding principle will always be progressive overload so that you're you're doing more over time and um, you're getting stronger and you're lifting more weights for more repetitions and more sets and your programming dictates that. So I think we need to kind of steer away from what methods you use and look at the overruling factors. Mm, yeah, I mean, definitely 
the the biggest thing is you want to progressively overload the volume that you're putting on the body parts that you're trying to trying to bring up so you know whether that's through increasing the weight that you're using um, or increasing the reps and um, I guess one of the the methods I mean it's certainly uh, you know I'm going to use methods with the the quotation marks up there that you know in in kind of experience um, and in kind of the theory works very well for women is you utilizing some higher rep ranges and then progressing through the higher rep ranges this is mainly down due, due to kind of substrate utilization during during training so uh, the use of kind of fat to carbs and things and how it differs between men and women um, women seem to usually work higher in uh, sorry work better in higher rep ranges than blokes do we tend to gas out pretty quick um, you know so uh, I would certainly say if you feel like you perform quite well through higher rep ranges, maybe look to progress your lifts through you know that 15 to 20 rep range maybe. Um, you know, so pick a weight and look to you know hit say three sets of 15 and then just progress your way up to say three sets of 20 by adding on reps each week. And then once you get to that point, maybe increase weight and, and drop down again. Mm. And maybe look to just progress your strength that way alongside uh, you know. Uh, adequate protein intake and a, a small calorie surplus you you should definitely see progressions in in you know your upper body and, and the development of it um but in terms of you know any techniques any special techniques there's certainly not anything that's going to work better for you than just just focusing on that that big overwhelming principle of progressive overload that Ollie mentioned yeah i guess another thing that we could look at as a bit of a method is just some prioritization so whether that be where we place our upper body training during the week, so where we have most of our energy, or just how frequently we train our upper body com mm. comparative to other parts of the body. So if that is your, um, you know, your kind of emphasis, where you want to put your emphasis, then do so accordingly with frequency and placement of training. Yeah, I think um, frequency is the big one that gets overlooked when people are looking at volume it's actually the easiest way of pushing volume up substantially just do it just, more often yeah add in an extra day um if that means that you've got a slightly lower your volume on the other days to do so that's fine but mm. you know when we get if you're thinking that you're trying to say hit your uh let's say you're hitting your your shoulders with you know maybe 15 sets per week which would be pretty high volume on on the shoulders directly getting in 15 sets of volume on shoulders in one day you know, say you're hitting five exercises of three sets, it's pretty tiring. Mm. You know, that's that's going to gas you out pretty much, um, pretty easily. Whereas if you say we're to go, okay, I'm going to go and do three days, and I'm going to hit five sets on each day, much more easy to do. Your strength will be better across those sets because you're doing less in total each day. Um, you know, so certainly, as Ollie said, utilizing maybe some slightly higher frequency of of hitting those body foot parts will um, will certainly be of benefit. Um, and, and certainly I would say for a lot of people, especially when it's very small muscle groups, don't worry about training them or overtraining them that they're not going to recover enough because in reality, they really don't take that much stress. Um, you know, lat raises will say five, seven, seven point five kilos, things like that. They're not really doing that much damage. Yeah. So being able to hit them a little bit more frequently is, is something that might be worth doing. Yeah, brilliant. So thanks very much for the questions, guys. We really enjoyed those and we will definitely be putting out more social media posts asking for your questions on training and nutrition. And as promised, um, we're going to reveal to you guys who we have on the very next podcast, which is episode four, and we're going to have AJ Morris on. Um, and if you don't know AJ Morris, he's the owner of his own podcast, which is Team Muscle Radio. He has a very 
informative um, YouTube channel, which he's very active on currently. He's undergoing his natural bodybuilding prep for the BMBF, um, which I believe he's about three weeks out from now. Looking awesome. Yeah, looking awesome. And um, he puts out regular content on Instagram and Facebook, which is very indicative of the sort of um, information that we like to also provide, very evidence-based and um, easy to understand. And uh, we're very excited to have him on the podcast next week, which we'll be recording on Wednesday. So stay tuned for that one. And in the meantime, um, have a great week and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to Team No Cavs Radio. Remember, planter flexion, dorsiflexion, progressive overload, and boom, anything is possible.